0: Aloha, we're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church Podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. My notes are way too long. So I'm going to talk really fast. It's going to be like drinking out of a fire hose here because I, when I went to print it out last night and I looked at it, I thought, oh, this is going to be like way, way, way too long. So just bear with me. I've cut stuff out. I've edited as much as I can to get the point. So uh, growing up, I was the kid that was, the, I was the band geek. I was a kid in band. I was a drummer in the band and which is why I love watching Pablo play and yeah, um, But I was never really an athlete, I wasn't good at almost any sport, I think it was, I I blamed it on my eyes. I thought anything with a fast moving ball coming toward me, I was just like out. Um, uh, You know, just go right over me. Um, But I discovered later in life that there was something that I kind of liked as a hobby, as um, something to do. And that was like target shooting. Um, I'm a gun guy, I like guns, so target shooting, and so that's a target. And so um, it was really easy for me to pick that up because it was a solo activity, didn't need a team. Um, The equipment's pretty simple, you need a gun and some ammo and a target. The rules are pretty basic, Um, you treat the gun as if they're all loaded all the time, always. You don't point it at anything that you're not ready to destroy. Um, and you keep your finger off the trigger till you have everything all lined up in the sights and you make sure that you know where the target is and what's behind it because sometimes, you know, bad things happen when you don't know what's behind it. And so um, that's, that's a typical target and the, obje- the objective of the sport is really simple. That red spot in the middle, we'll call that the bullseye. Some of you ladies are more familiar with the other kind of target, and there's also a bullseye. Uh, you know, the, uh-uh. um, I spend. In fact, I think we have to stop there on the way home. My wife told me on the way here. We got to stop at Target on the way home. So, um, I'm talking this kind of target, all right? Uh, so, and I have some old targets I had. I think I threw them out where when I first started, like practicing and trying to hit the bullseye. I hit everything around here except the middle, you know, didn't hit the bullseye. Um, and I learned how to hit the bullseye by really watching other people who were better shooters than I was and better, you know, at aiming at the target and asking them questions and trying to emulate what they were doing. And that's how you get better and better at it. So um, we'll come back to that thought a little bit later tonight we're going to take this overview look at a guy named Saul, the Old Testament one, not the New Testament one. And this story spans like a bunch of chapters in 1 Samuel. So in the interest of time, I'm not going to read all those verses, but there are a lot of scriptures, so just hang on. Uh, we'll put some key verses on the screen when I need to read the scriptures. But if you want to follow along in your own Bible, or you've got the Bible app on your phone or whatever, we're going to blaze through chapters 8, through 15 of 1 Samuel. We're going to blaze through it as fast as I can. Um, So Israel was not really a nation like some of the surrounding kingdoms around them were. They were more like a confederation of related tribes. And unlike those surrounding nations, they were governed by judges who settled disputes and administered justice and all that. And in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, we're told that Samuel, who was the judge, he was getting old, And he appointed his sons to take over as judges, but they were not good men like him. They weren't wise. And uh, it tells us that they took bribes and they perverted justice. Not a good thing for people who are in leadership. Um, So verses 4 and 5 of chapter 8 says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they called Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You're old. (laughs) Like he didn't know that. (laughs) Trust me. I know I'm old. You don't have to tell me. I'm old. And your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. So here's big red flag lesson number one that I, when I was studying through this, wanting to be like everybody else is not a good idea. Uh, it's really easy to get into the comparison game, especially churches do it. Ministries do it. You look at Church A over here, and they're doing this. And you think, oh, we should try that to be more like them. Or Church B is doing this. But maybe that's not what God's called us to be. We want to do only what God's called us to do. We want to do that with as much excellence as we know how to do it. And we want to stay away from, you know, stay in our lane. Get out of everybody else's turf over there. Uh, If God's called them to do something different to be different, that's great. We have no argument. We're not in competition with anybody else. But here they were. Um... You know, we want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. So verses 6 through 9. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It's not that they have rejected you, but they've rejected me as their king. As they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt till this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now, listen to them, but warn them solemnly. Let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So, you know, we compare our situation to other people and we think the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence and all that stuff. But we don't really know what's going on over there. You only know what you see on the surface. And so what they saw was, wow, these notions are just great. They're flourishing and they got a king. We want a king. So Samuel says, here's what you're going to get with the king. You're going to get conscription. He's going to come in and take all your young men and put them in the army to go fight wars gain territory. Um, Some of them will be put to work in an armament factory making weapons, and others are going to be growing food to supply the troops. Your daughters are going to become bakers and cooks, and they'll be serving his inner circle. Your best lands, your crops, your vineyards, they're going to be taken for his friends. Your livestock and the servants will be property of the king. You're basically going to become his slaves. And he warned them that what they were asking for might look really, really great to be just like everyone else. But there are going to be some serious consequences of their choices. You know, there's a popular saying in the world today that says, elections have consequences. You know, you vote somebody in and then you get get what you voted for. Decisions have consequences also. When you choose to walk outside of the center of God's will, when you, when you drift away from the bullseye and you get over here on the edges of the target, there are consequences to that. There always are. God has, a, God has a plan and he has a direction for you to go and he tries to lead you in that direction and you can follow him or you can reject him, but there will be consequences of whatever decision you make. Verses 19 and 20. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we'll be like the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. 21 and 22, when Samuel heard all the people that said he repeated it before the Lord, he goes and says, they said no. And God says, tell me about it. They've been saying no for centuries. I know. I've been dealing with these people. They're hard-headed. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Okay, they want a king give him a king then Samuel said to the Israelites everybody go back to your hometown he dismisses them chapter 9 takes us into this whole description of young Saul and the way he came to encounter Samuel and he's described in this passage as an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites a head taller than, all, than any of the others now I'm, um, I'm about normal height I'm 5'10 in Hawaii I'm probably on the higher end of the scale a lot of people in Hawaii are shorter than me but I took a picture recently with Samuel Garner. Is Samuel in here right now? He might be out in the outer thing out there. And I looked at that thing and I went like, either I'm shrinking or he's still growing because he's literally, I'm like up to his shoulders. He's literally a head taller than me in that picture. He stands out in that, in that picture. Well, Saul stood out in this crowd. He was, he was a head taller than any of his friends and family around him. The short version of this is that Saul's father had a bunch of donkeys. They would strayed away. He sent young Saul with a servant to go track them down. They went through all these surrounding areas searching. They couldn't find them. So 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. When they reached the district of Zephs, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys. He'll start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look. In this town, there's a man of God. He's highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go down there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. So I don't know if you realize this, but your leaders are human. They're really human. Leaders get discouraged sometimes. They go like, man, this is fruitless. We've been trying this, and nothing's working out. Leaders can lose sight of the mission. I don't care how anointed they are. I don't care how smart they are. I don't care how well-trained they are. Mission drift is possible. They get in a mindset and they start going this way and they keep hitting a brick wall. And when they keep hitting the brick wall, sometimes they just get discouraged and they need somebody like this guy who says, no, 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 we're not going back. We're going to press forward. We're going to go and seek the man of God and see what he has to say about this. I love being surrounded by a team of people who sometimes have way better ideas than my own, and they keep me on mission. Uh, before I got up here this morning, I let's see you heard from at least, what, four, maybe five young leaders who were up here talking and saying stuff. One person opened a service, another person closed the worship, and somebody else gave announcements, and these other people were leading you in worship and everything. It's wisdom to surround yourself with people. And so that's what he was doing here. He's listening to his servant. Jump down to verse 14 through 17. They went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place. Samuel, the guy who was the judge, who was complaining to the Lord that these people wanted a king, he's coming toward them. Now, the day before Saul came, The Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. So when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He'll govern my people. So here's Samuel. He's been instructed by the Lord to give them a king. But he was told, first, you warn them of the consequences of their decision. You need to tell them what they're in for. Don't let them get caught by surprise. And then the day before Saul shows up in his town, the Lord tells him he's sending him a man, the person he's supposed to anoint as king. And the next day, here comes Saul approaching him. And the Lord says, that's the guy. I told you yesterday you were going to meet him. There he is right there. Now, he didn't know him. Their paths hadn't crossed. But he had a sure word from the Lord that this was the guy. Sometimes the Lord gives you a word about something that you have no knowledge of coming toward you. He will tell you something's going to happen the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. And he will tell you something. He'll reveal it to you and you go like, what what am I looking for here? How am I going to know when this happens? When it happens, believe me, the Lord will say, remember that thing I told you about? There it is right there. This is it. If the Lord's preparing you for something... He'll go before you and he'll speak your name and identity into places you never had access to before. He'll speak your name before people that you couldn't get in front of. He'll open doors that nobody can close. He'll pick you out of a surrounding crowd. He'll point you out to the right people. He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. He's going to open doors no man can close. There's a song that we sing that says, There's no wall he won't kick down coming after you. That's exactly the truth. When God's got you marked for a mission, when he's got your name on something, it's going to happen. You can just take it to the bank. Go ahead and cash that check. He's coming and he's going to do it. He'll do it his way. Samuel tells Saul to send his servant on ahead. You send that guy on ahead. We don't need him right now. You're going to stick around here and receive a message from God. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, when there's prophetic ministry going on, uh, I I love when God knows my name and he speaks out something directly with my name in it. I mean, I love that it doesn 't always happen that way, does it sometimes it 's a lot vaguer and you 're trying to you 're trying to scope out what the lord 's doing you 're trying to discern what direction god 's doing things, but sometimes God will have a word for you, and he 'll send somebody that 'll say hey i don 't know exactly what this means, but I think maybe you do, and they 'll tell you something." And it'll just like blow you away because it's something you've been praying about or something the Lord's put on your heart or something that you've read in Scripture and you didn't understand and God has it marked and He knows exactly what's going on in your heart and in your mind. He'll deliver that message. And if it's really, really something critical and important, I promise you, He'll deliver it. He'll confirm it. He'll confirm it again. I mean, it'll come from all kinds of directions at you. There'll be no doubt at all. So He tells him, you're going to stick around. You're going to get a message from God. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head. Now, this is an old-school anointing. This is not, you know, dab your finger on top of a little bottle and make a cross on his forehead. "Mm -mm." I I, I think I told you guys, I had one of those anointings where I had a brand-new Tory Richards syrup. And this woman... This woman... Felt the Lord on this. And she had me sit in a chair. It was a chair almost exactly like one of these, same color and everything, over at Windward Worship Center. Sat in that chair, and she came over and dumped that entire bottle of olive oil over my head. It ran down. It, some of you were there. Eric and Arlene were there that night. Terry was there. They're, uh, soaked me to the skin. I think I had to throw the shirt away. You'll never get that much olive oil out of the shirt. Uh, it stained the chair. It stained the carpet. It stained everything. But I was anointing. I definitely got that anointing because it was just like, how much bo- how much oil is in that bottle? She just kept coming. Uh, my eyes. Uh, it was. It was, it was anointing. That's the kind of anointing we're talking about here. It says he just poured this flask of oil over his head. And he kissed him saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Now, Saul didn't know that he was anointed to be the ruler. This is the first time he's heard this message. I, he, he was just clueless. He's just this young guy, tall, young man in his 20s. And here comes this man of God who dumps his oil over him and kisses him and said, Hey, guess what? You're chosen. Scared him to death. I mean, scared you to death. They never even had a king before. He says, when you leave me today, you're going to meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelza on the border of Benjamin. They'll say to you, those donkeys you set out to look for, they've been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son? So back in verse 5, Saul had said, hey, we need to go back. My father's going to stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. And now here's this prophetic seer reflecting his unspoken concern. He wasn't there when he spoke that concern out. But the Lord heard him, and he's telling him, hey, those donkeys, you're out looking for it, they've been found, so now your father's worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son? Have you ever had God speak a prophetic word, maybe a word of knowledge that mirrored exactly what was on your mind, or confirmed something you'd been thinking about? You know, God's reading my mail. He knows exactly what I've been thinking about in a secret place. I hadn't spoken this to anybody. I've just been, it's been something I've been like, dealing with in my heart you know how you you know how you're like in your house and you you're just you're thinking about something you're thinking about like uh, whatever a blue cup and suddenly your facebook feeds full of ads for blue cups <laughs> and you're thinking how do they know how do they know it's like that, it's more mysterious than that. When God knows what's in your heart, you haven't spoken it, you haven't said anything, you haven't done anything to indicate it, and God just calls it out and says, hey, I know this is on your mind, this is something you're worried about, let me tell you, it's all taken care of. It's all taken care of. So he tells Saul he's gonna encounter some people on the road that they're gonna offer him gifts, some loaves of bread, and he's gonna meet a procession of prophets. And he tells him, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you, upon you, and you'll prophesy with them, and you'll be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. So God is going to anoint, God's going to confirm your anointing with physical gifts and spiritual gifts as signs. That's what he's saying. He's going to give you necessary food, some loaves of bread, and then this spiritual encounter is going to just wreck you. It's going to change you into a different person. That's what a spiritual encounter with God is supposed to do. It's supposed to change you from the inside out. How can you be in the presence of God when things are happening and God is moving and just walk out and like, yeah, okay, that's okay. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to penetrate into here and it's supposed to change you completely. When you enter into the manifest presence, the spirit of the Lord comes powerfully over you. Looking back, going back. It's just not even an option. It doesn't even have any appeal to you. Why would you want to go back to the way you were before after you've encountered the living God and he's done something and he's just totally wrecked you? Why would you want to go back? Verse 9, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart and all these signs were fulfilled that day. It happened exactly as Samuel, this prophetic seer, this judge, it happened exactly as he had prophesied it. When all his friends and relatives saw the way Saul was responding, prophesying, acting changed, it became a saying. Is Saul also among the prophets? Is, is he suddenly a prophet? He was just a guy. Like last week, I was, I was out talking to him. We were playing soccer together, and we went to have lunch. And now, what is this stuff? He's like, it's all crazy. He's like a prophet all of a sudden. It all sounds glorious until a few days later when Samuel shows up. He gathers everybody around to deliver a really hard word. Verse 18. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you've said, no, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. He says, go ahead, line up, all you, every tribe, every clan, every family group. Line up. Let me see what I got to choose from here. Now, you remember, Samuel already knows who God's chosen. He's already dumped the oil over him and kissed him. He's already anointed him, prophesied over him. But they don't know that. So they still line up. They're going through the ritual motions. They line up. They line up by household and tribe. And Samuel scans the groups. He's looking for Saul. That's what he's looking for. He looks. He goes, yeah, okay, no, you guys can go. Mm, mm, No, you guys can go. uh, You guys can go over here. He doesn't see him. And finally, they inquire of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? Where's the one I anointed? I don't see him. Verse 22, the Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. Why was he hiding? He was already anointed. He knew that he was chosen. Now he's scared, so he's hiding. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. We remember that. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man God has chosen? See the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. Immediately, Samuel reviewed what he told him about the consequences of choosing get Now, don't forget, I told you there was a downside to this. Let me remind you, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And he even wrote down all the rights and the duties of kingship and all that, what they could expect now. And he put it on a scroll, and then he sent everybody home. And he went home. And the newly announced King Saul went home. He was anointed. He'd had the Spirit of God come upon him powerfully. He'd been announced publicly He had been acknowledged. He had been hailed by the crowd. And then he got sent home. Doesn't seem quite fair, does it? I mean, you'd think, does he get to move into the fancy house and get some crowns and thrones and all that? No, he gets sent home. And he already had a few people in the crowd saying, who does he think he is? Why is he king? What's so special about him? Oh, he's tall, but I mean... Well, what does that got to do with anything? I got big feet. What is that? Sometimes we, we get ahead of the program. We know that God's called us. We know that God has endorsed us. He has announced us. And then we get sent home. We get set down. We get placed in reserve. And I'm going to tell you, our flesh does not like that at all sometimes that causes us to get our feelings hurt or we make foolish decisions that undermine everything God wants to do in us with us through us we try to get ahead of the program and we try to like take control when god says just go go home sit down I'll call you when i'm ready just, just shh, get over there stay over there sit down chapter 11 is all about this opposing nation wanting to come in and make them surrender Uh, Threatening, You know, if you don't surrender, we're going to come in there and we're going to gouge out the right eye of every man there. And in verse 6, when Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. He burned with anger. So here's the case where the Spirit of the Lord caused righteous anger. He rallied an army of 330,000 men. Now, I want you to remember that Samuel told him, hey, you get a king, you know what he's going to do? He's going to come get your sons and build an army. I'm just telling you you get a king that's what happens that's the way kings do kings gonna conscript your sons and take them to war and then after this military victory though his kingship was reaffirmed and we jump to chapter 12 Samuel's farewell address the whole chapter he reminds them of all the times and the ways God's been faithful to them and how many times they'd failed God and they'd rejected his system of governing them in favor of wanting a king like everyone else has we want to be like everyone else Verses 14 and 15. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey Him and do not rebel against His commandments and if both you and the King who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against His commands, His hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. So here's this 30-year-old guy now, Saul. He's ruling and reigning as king for the next 42 years until he was 72 years old. Put in charge. Military victory. Now they're celebrating him and the people who had said, oh, who does he think he is? Why is he king? You know, they, they were like wanting to, the people in this the community, his kingdom, were now wanting to go get him. Let's go get those guys who were talking stink about the king. No, no, no. Not going to do anything to them. Chapter 15, Samuel comes with a message for Saul. He reminds him, I was the one the Lord sent to anoint you, so you better listen. In other words, you may be king, but you're king because I anointed you king. So I'm still somebody you need to listen to. I'm a voice you need to listen to. And he says, God wants you to go and destroy the Amalekites. Starting in chapter 15, verse 3, it says, Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death, this is hard stuff here, men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. I mean, how direct and specific do you want it? That's pretty unambiguous, right? Go in, take no prisoners, take no loot, Kill everything in sight and get out of there. You will wipe them out as if they never existed. That's his instructions. Now jump down to verse 8 and 9. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good, These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak was totally destroyed. Now, is that what God told him to do? It's the exact opposite of what God told him to do. God said, go in, don't take any prisoners, don't take anything, kill everything that's alive, wipe them out. You're not to take any prisoners, not to take any loot. But he took the king and he took all the best livestock. Now, in the natural, let's be honest, we're human. And that sounded logical. In fact, that sounded like a great idea. I mean, just humanly, didn't that sound like a good idea? Hey, look at all this good, there's some good animals here. Let's take them back and uh, we'll make a sacrifice to the Lord. You know, to, we'll, we'll, we'll show him how obedient we are. We're going to sacrifice to the Lord. But that's not what they were told to do. They were directly, specifically, unambiguously told, take no prisoners, don't bring anything back. So jump down to verse 10 and 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, <sighs> "I regret that I've made Saul King." Wow." Wow. That has to hurt. God points you out. He tells, "You're anointed. Spirit of God's come on you. you've prophesied, you've military victory, you're lauded as king and everything. And then the Lord looks down and says, man, I regret putting you in that position. How bad would that be? How would you feel about that? I regret that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. The Lord was grieved. Samuel was grieved. The things that break God's heart are supposed to break our hearts also. We just can't get so accustomed to compromise, to sin, to disobedience, that it starts to become acceptable to us. It starts to become normal to us. Uh, well, everybody, you know, nobody follows those instructions exactly. I mean, I mean we, we just kept the good stuff. We, we, we wiped out everything that was bad. We, we only kept some good things, right? That's okay, right? Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul's gone to Carmel There he set up a monument in his own honor And he's turned and gone on down to Gilgal So he goes looking for him Samuel goes looking for him to tell him Hey, God's not happy I'm not happy This is not a good thing And he gets down there and what is it? Oh yeah, he went to build himself a a statue To honor himself as a great leader Self-promotion Self-glory It wasn't, look what the Lord has done, but look what I've done. I've built a monument in my own honor. He's just like breaking his arm, patting himself on the back, how great he was. It's really easy, folks. If you're in any position of leadership, it's really, really easy to start believing your own press agent. You'll be surrounded immediately. Unintentionally, sometimes you'll be surrounded with people who tell you how wonderful you are, what a great job you're doing. Be careful. Be careful. I haven't mentioned it in a long time, but you know, they they used to teach, especially men in ministry, they teach you that the three things you better watch out for are the three G's. The gold, starting to like money a little bit too much and getting greedy. The girls, uh, illicit relationships with the opposite sex, and the glory, taking the glory that belongs to God, thinking that you're somehow special and you deserve it. Those are still good warnings even though they might not fit everything anymore. Verses 13 and 14. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. He's lying. He didn't carry out the Lord's instructions. He did exactly the opposite of what God told him to do. But he says, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What's this lowing of cattle that I hear? If you carried out the Lord's instruction, why am I hearing livestock over here that you're not supposed to have? Where'd that come from? You didn't have that last last week when I was down here. Where'd, where'd, where'd Where'd all these fat calves and stuff come from? My mother, my dear old departed mother, used to tell me, son, be sure your sins will find you out. You can't hide when you do wrong. You can't do wrong and hide it because God knows. He always knows and he'll find a way to reveal it. Here he was lying about what he'd done. Saul answered, get this. The soldiers brought them back from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle uh, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. He's, first, he tries to shift the blame off on his, his troops. Oh, it wasn't me, so, you know, I did everything God told me to, but they, you know, those guys, they just don't listen. They brought those sheep back. He's trying to shift responsibility. He wants to justify his sin, as good intentions. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, we did a bad thing for Jesus. It's not the way it works. It's not the way it works you can't do bad stuff you can't do evil in the name of the Lord and then justify it well well my heart was still, I was just trying to do something good for God how about if you just follow instructions how about if you just do what he has already told you to do that's easier verses 16 and following enough Samuel said to Saul let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night tell me Saul replied Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord. But but I, I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. He contradicted himself in that one sentence. I destroyed everything and I brought back Agag. I mean, that doesn't count, does it? I mean, that wasn't part of the everything I was supposed to destroy. Yeah, exactly. You were supposed to destroy him and everything that was alive. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God at Gilgal. Again, he's blaming others, shifting responsibility, justifying their sin because of good intentions. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. If the Lord wanted a sacrifice, in other words, he would have asked for one. What did he ask for? He asked for you to obey his exact instructions. And to obey is better than sacrifice. Yeah, I get it. Your intentions were to come back and take these wonderful uh, special animals and you were going to make an altar and you were going to sacrifice them and you were going to think, oh, God will be so happy with us. But you didn't do what he told you to do. What did he tell you to do? Go and destroy everything. Don't bring anything back. So here's a question for you. Have you ever received instructions from the Lord? Oh, I have. Well, I have. I mean like direct, specific, unambiguous, take no prisoners, take no loot kind of instructions. Like not vague, but like, have you ever, um, I won't ask you, I'll just tell you. I've been driving from one place to another that is like part of my normal pattern. And I've had the Lord tell me to turn and take a different route. Well, it didn't make any sense. You know, like, what? why would he want me to go a different way? This is the way I always go. I don't know. Did he keep me out of an accident by sending me a different way? Was he just testing to see if I would go when he said go a different way? Just checking to see if I would be obedient? I don't know, but sometimes these instructions that you get from the Lord are like, Dead on specific, like, bullet points on a PowerPoint slide, you know. Do this, then do this, then do this. And when that happens, I'm just telling you, you better do it. You better follow instructions exactly the way he tells you to do it. Don't think that you've got a better idea than God has. That's what was happening here. Oh, God, I know you told us to kill everything. And not, but look at, man, look at these sheep. Have you seen these sheep, Lord? These are These are really good animals here. We need to take these back and sacrifice these. We have a little cookout afterwards. You get these direct instructions from the Lord and sometimes you take it upon yourself to embellish them. You want to help God out by adding a little flair, you know. (laughs) His idea was kind of boring and direct and you think, yeah, but look, hey, we could do that and we could do this too. You fill in some thoughts of your own. You think maybe God skipped over some details. Maybe your idea was like a little flashier, a little better. And then do you ever find yourself justifying your sin by blaming on other people? I wrote in my notes, have you ever offered God a sacrifice he didn't request while denying him the obedience he demands? Yeah. I have. I think a lot of us have. We offered him a sacrifice he didn't request while we denied him the obedience that he demands. Verse 23. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Because you've rejected the word of the lord he's rejected you as king now you go on you can continue reading yourself in first samuel there comes a period of time where where saul is the king and he's going through all this turmoil spiritual turmoil and says like an evil spirit you know like it's like it's the description sounds almost like clinical depression or something. Yeah. It's just troubling and everything. And what do they do? They send David to come and play the harp. And when he plays the harp, he, the spirit leaves him, departs from him. And he loves it. He loves the presence of the Lord that David ushers in. And I had in my notes that, that, that he, he welcomed the music of David. But rejected the word of Samuel. I mean, I love worship. I think, thank God for all these worshipers up here. This team is amazing. The ones that are on the mainland right now, they're amazing. It's it's all wonderful. I I am happy that that's a major part of uh, of our services. Is we take as long as we want to worship. There's no time limit. There's there's no clock running. There's there's no prescribed pattern. It's just we go as long as we need to. I'm happy for that. But that's not a substitute. It can't substitute for the word. It's a balance. It's both. Stand with me for just a minute. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. If you're able to stand, please do. Saul got off to such a good start. Such a good start. He was chosen. He was anointed. He had an encounter with God that changed his heart. So he was anointed, he was announced, he was acknowledged. He saved his nation in battle. He was on target. He was like, boom, 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 hitting the red spot, hitting the bullseye. Right there in the center of God's will. And all he had to do was stay right there in the center of God's will. Just keep doing exactly as things would please God. Then he, he he started cutting corners. He started believing his own press agent, so to speak, taking credit for things that God was doing. He started missing the bullseye. When he failed, and here's the key, he didn't recalibrate and say, let me get back on target here. Let let, Let me get back to where I need to be. Instead, he started blaming other people for his failings, for his sin, and he started he started trying to justify it away. Like, oh, well, you know, my intentions were good. And I, You know, he slid away into self-deception and self-glory. And he offered God a substitute from what he required. When God demanded obedience, he offered him, well, well how about a sacrifice instead, okay? I, I didn't obey you exactly, but, but look at this great sacrifice I'm going to give you. The scripture says, because you've rejected the word of the Lord... He's rejected you as king. So for us today as we wrap this up I think every person in this room every person who may be watching this online somewhere all of us want to please God. You wouldn't be here today on a Sunday afternoon if you didn't want to please God. That's why you're here. I get that. We all want to follow him. We all want to be used for his glory. But Close to the bullseye is not the bullseye. Near the center of his will is not the center of his will. This is not horseshoes. You know, you're close to the peg. Almost obedience is not obedience at all. And some of you have heard me teach on this. Slow obedience is no obedience. If you tell God, well, I will later. If you'll just wait, Lord, I'll I'll do that later. You just told him no. I'm challenging us all to aim for the center of God's will. Learn to listen to his voice and not just hear what he says, but follow his instructions, his direct instructions, his precise instructions, everything that he asks you to do. Do it and do it immediately. Just, Just do it. Obey His leading completely. Let me pray for us. Lord, the center of your will is the only place we want to be. Dead center, bullseye. Right in the dead center of your will is where we want to be. We do not want to be on the periphery sort of obeying you. We don't want to be in trying to to add our ideas to your ideas, our agenda to your agenda, our plans to your plans as if they were incomplete or not good enough. What you tell us to do is good enough. It is perfect. And we don't need, we don't need to be special assistants to the Holy Spirit trying to tell you how to do your job. So for every area in which we might have drifted from the bullseye and moved to the periphery of your will, we repent, we we turn our thoughts in the opposite direction. We have a change of mind about that tonight, right now, right here in this place. And we resolve as a body of believers, as a church, all of us at reunion, all of them, everyone who might be watching this, Lord, we're, we're we're calling upon you to help us to recalibrate. You don't, you you didn't call us to make some of the sacrifices we like to make. You just called us to obey you. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice clearly, to obey you precisely, precisely so that we can stay in the center of your will for us individually for for us as a church body as we move in in new directions god we we know that sometimes you will turn on a dime you will you will bless something this week and the very next week you say nope over here over here come follow me over here help us lord to stay on target all the time and move when you move and stay still when you stay still Help us to be in the center of your will for your glory in everything that we do. We pray this in the precious name and authority of Jesus today. Amen. Amen. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5 live at Kahala Mall. Aloha.